This is Tom Harvey, the Economy Guy. Welcome to the world of macroeconomics and how it affects you. I am looking at the world's economics, trying to interpret them, and more importantly, wondering where they are going and what they are going to do to us in particular. So this is your window into that world. I don't give any personal financial advice. I just give information and facts as I see them, and occasionally my opinions. I want this to be an educational show for you, so you can learn to think for yourself and make your own great financial decisions. Please enjoy it, and welcome. It is April 11th, and this is The Economy Guy coming your way. I have six segments for you this week. Uh, the first one is I just want to talk about war. That should get your attention. Something I watch very closely. Second is we'll cover the markets last week. What happened? Third topic is a single tidbit. A fun one. The fourth is a little bit of history and uh, what's going on in the markets. So a history of markets and markets. That is uh, useful to have, that, to know your history. The fifth is a, uh, what I call a bluebird that came out of and uh, could have uh, been a true market crashing bluebird, but wasn't, and I'll explain why. It came close, it came close. And sixth is our list of precursors and where we're going. That's it, let's get on with the first segment. And on to segment one, war. Let's talk about war. In my opinion, since World War II, the U.S. has been in a continuous series of wars punctuated by small periods of peace. And uh, we've kind of been a almost a peaceful situation right now, which means it's time for a war. If you're in that kind of mood, I don't like it at all. But... Let's give some background. And the background is Ukraine. Uh, there is a, a group of pro-Russian Ukrainians who have held out in the uh, far eastern, southeastern portion of Ukraine and against the current Ukrainian government and held their territory uh, as being sort of independent and with a lot of military help from Russia. And they've done that since 2014, so that's the last seven years they've been doing that. In addition, Russia, they uh, annexed uh, the Crimea in Ukraine, which used to be part of the Ukraine. It's now uh, annexed. It's, I guess, I don't know, it depends whether you want to call it part of Ukraine or part of Russia, but anyway, Russia runs it. And it's starting March of 2014. They took it over. Russia did that because the Black Sea is very important to their Russian Navy, and that's how where the Navy base was located, is in the Crimea, in Sebastopol, as a matter of fact. But be that what it's may. What's happening now? Well, the, the Russians apparently have convoys of trucks and using concealed license plates, etc., making their way to the southeastern part of Ukraine. Interesting, right along the border. And the prime minister of the Ukraine is said this is very dangerous and he doesn't like it. And uh, there are 85,000 Russian troops 
within 6 to 25 miles of the border there. That's a, this is me speaking, that's a very high density population of soldiers and is a, uh, a pretty good sign of an invasion. If you're uh, reading tea leaves and you're doing reconnaissance, uh, that, that really doesn't look good from a, a lack of war viewpoint. What else is going on along with this? Uh, there, the United States is are flying uh, reconnaissance aircraft over the area. I'm sure they're counting everything they can count on the on the land. And the uh, U.S. is also inserting two warships into the Black Sea, and they'll be entering it on the 14th and 15th of April. So coming up pretty soon. Uh, it's a sign of strength from the United States. So the question is, what would the United States do and or what would NATO do if Russia truly invaded the southeast of Ukraine? What would they do? And uh, no one can answer that. We don't know. Ukraine is not a member of NATO, so no one is required to come to their aid. So uh, it's just... Uh, current political leaders would have to make their mind up of what they were going to do or not do. Uh, it sounds like an extremely dangerous and potentially explosive uh, situation. Uh, just simply the number of soldiers that close to a border is should be a massive red flag uh, to military people. That's the first potential war area. Another, perhaps not as urgent, but still happening is China. China loves Taiwan and they think they've owned Taiwan forever and the Taiwanese don't. They think they're independent and uh, they are moving closer and closer to invading Taiwan. And what do they do? Well, they are flying their uh, fighter aircraft within Taiwanese airspace, uh, which is makes the Taiwanese very angry and nervous. And uh, they are uh, floating their Chinese Navy close to the Taiwanese island and uh, between Taiwan and the mainland of China. They uh, certainly are, have made a lot of plans on how to invade Taiwan. The Taiwanese are fully aware of those plans and are making their own plans for their defense. That's it for the first segment. Let's not have any wars. On to the second segment. And on to segment two, the wrap-up of last week's markets. What really happened last week? First of all, before to put it in context, I've been stating for a while that the United States economy is strong and is getting stronger by the week as more and more states loosen up on the COVID restrictions that they've had. And that is showing up in the various numbers that are, are coming up. So let's see what happened to the markets. The Dow Jones ended at 33,800, which was up over 600 points, uh, a massive move, a very big move for the, the stock market going up. The 10-year ended at 1.666. That's a little bit lower than 1.679. It's one and a third percent down. It's uh, percentage points, not percent. Uh, basically a sideways move. I think that the 10-year is still re resting and uh, from its massive surge up, 
I expect, I'm be bold enough to say, I expect it to go up sometime in the near future again. Go, uh, oil. Oil finished at 59. That's down two bucks from last week. Uh, interesting. Uh, that's There's people in OPEC are pumping more oil than they should, and that's uh, the game that OPEC plays. Bless them. The U.S. dollar. Significant move in the U.S. dollar. It weakened by about a 1% fall in value in a week. That's significant. And uh, and I believe that was a result of what's going on with the the uh, interest rates, the ten-year Treasury. Uh, so that's that was fun to watch that happen. And uh, gold, gold went ended the uh, week at seventeen forty-five. That's up fourteen dollars. A strong move by gold, and we will continue to watch it. That's it for segment two. And on to segment number three, the one and only tidbit that I have. I'm going to talk about Bitcoin. What is Bitcoin? Bitcoin is a solution to an equation. If you want to look at it that way, it's a simple-minded way of thinking about it. And there are multiple solutions to this one equation. Each solution is a Bitcoin. And people are continuing to look for new solutions because Bitcoin is worth a lot of money, over $50,000 you find it. This number, magic number, you have $50,000 in your hand, and they are, how do you find it? Well, you have to be looking for it inside a bunch of computers, because it takes a lot of computing power to do this. And here's the tidbit information. Guess how much electricity is being used for by people looking for Bitcoin solutions around the globe, all over the place? The answer is more than the entire nation of Sweden is using for electricity. That should make you give you a pause for thought. Oh, everyone out there who thinks about electricity should pause and consider Bitcoin for a second. It's use of electricity. That's it for the tidbit this week. And on to segment four. And now to segment four, a little history lesson on stock markets. Let's talk about that. Let's look at the stock market over the last 130, 140 years, 150, a little while. Let's take it from 1877 to today. That's a long time. Well, how many bull markets have we had in that period? The answer is we're in our fifth bull market. And in between, we've had four bear markets. So what is a bull market? Well, there are certain phases that a bull market goes to it, and it starts with a pessimism phrase. When nobody is interested, everybody's selling, nobody's buying, that's when a bull market starts. The next phase is it moves from pessimism to skepticism. People are thinking, oh, it's gone up a little, I don't know, but I'm still worried, I'm not going to buy it. Ah, skeptic, skeptic. And then it moves from Skepticism to optimism. People are feeling good about it. They're going for it. Yeah, let's do it. And then optimism, it moves to euphoria, which is where we are today in the current market, I might add, which is the last phase. And it ends, it ends, and we move into a bear market. That is what history tells us. Well, what else does it tell us? It says the average amount 
the average amount that bull markets have gone up during that period of time I've talked about, starting in 1877 till today, is 415% from bottom to top. And bear markets, on average, from top to bottom, fall 65% on average. And uh, here's another interesting, how about period of time that you're in bear versus bull? You're in a bull market 60% of the time and in a bear market 40%. Now people really say, hey, if it goes down into a bear market, you should buy, it's a buying opportunity. In reality, uh, and then it pops back up into bull. That's not true. Uh, you stay in bear markets a long time, 40% of the time, of the total time. And that, uh, it, and, and a lot of that time is going sideways, not necessarily down, but ends up down. So where are we today? If the average bull market goes up 415% on average, where are we today in today's bull run? And the answer is, the market is up 315%, so it could go higher. What's the highest that any bear bull market has ever gone up? And the answer is 666%. That was from 1982 to 2000. That was that run. And what is the deepest dive that a bear market has fallen? Minus 81%. It was from 1929 to 1932. That is uh, amazing. Statistics to keep. So what can you deduce from all of that? The answer is, hey, the current, current bull market could be going longer. And nobody, nobody can tell you when it's going to turn into a bear market. Every lot of, lot of talk, a lot of worry, a lot of people trying to make money out of it. But nobody can tell you because there's no way of knowing. It just happens. You'll know it. By looking in the rearview mirror, after it happens, you'll know that it happened. And you'll know why. But nobody can predict it on the way up. That's it. On to segment five. And on to segment five. This is about a bluebird that happened last week, or the week before, in fact. And uh, hasn't hit too much news out there. I don't think it's been... Have, have you heard about this? Have you heard about... Archegos Capital. It is a fund. It is a fund that was set up as a family office so that, that uh, this person's uh, money, uh, billions of dollars, could be invested without having to report it as a person uh, to the securities people. That's kind of one of the loopholes that's been going on. And this uh, Archegos Capital uh, lost $20 billion in two days. Mm, not bad. Okay, but could have been much worse. Let's go and talk about it. Archegos Capital is uh, the personally owned money of a, guy, a gentleman called Huang. He's from South Korea. Uh, went to my old alma mater, UCLA, and got his degree and went on, got a master's somewhere else, and uh, went into... Uh, investing in New York and uh, invested a lot of money. <clears throat> he is uh, apparently fearless in his investing, as historically been true, and he continued to be fearless. So how did he do this? What did he do? Well, he had, uh, with his $20 billion, 
he had a portfolio that controlled shares of worth a hundred billion dollars. In other words, he had uh, he was controlling five times as many shares as his money. Now, if you as an individual went out and bought shares, and you say I had a thousand dollars worth of shares, if you wanted to have a margin account, you could buy two thousand dollars worth of shares because you could get fifty percent margin on your account, and and that, that's fine if the shares are going up. If they're going down, you're going to get a margin call. You don't want to put in more money, but that's how margin works. You can leverage by using margin. He leveraged five to one, which means he was not using margin. What was he doing? He was using a different, uh, a different device, and he was uh, doing swaps. What a swap is, is he went to a bank and said, Hey, you've got a lot of those shares that I would like to have. Uh, can you, uh, can I just uh, borrow those from you and I'll pay you a fee and I will handle that. And, and, I'll, and then he did that to many, many different places. And because he was controlling so many shares in single companies, small number of companies, he, didn't, he did not have to tell the regulators he owned them all. The banks did because they did a swap. It was one of the tricks of doing swaps. And the banks were making a lot of money on these swaps. And, uh, but one day, everything went wrong. Viacom was the company he owned. Uh, their shares went south, uh, like a, a few percent, five, six percent. The next day, 23%. That was the two days when he lost $20 billion. And... The, all of the banks that he had borrowed shares from were worried, and they told him to, that he should sell. He won't lose everything if he sells quickly, and he refused to sell. So they sold, in fact, for him. Six banks were involved. Four of them sold. Two of them didn't. The two that didn't got hurt badly. That was Credit Suisse, a major bank, lost $4.7 billion, and Nomura Securities lost $2 billion. So... The story is, if the banks had not stepped in, the four banks that did sell and sell them, a bank might have gone under with that, as did Bear Stearns. This story I'm telling you is very similar to what happened to Bear Stearns when it went bankrupt. Uh, and that was a precursor to the Lehman Brothers. So this was a bluebird. This was a potential bluebird. It was caught due to some four banks that were on on the ball. So uh, stay tuned. Watch that. If you hear anything about it on the news, listen to it. It's interesting. Be talking to you. On to segment number six. And on to segment six. The six precursors that precede everything. First, before I start, though, I'd really like to give a shout-out to Vaughn. Thank you very much for sending in the uh, video of uh, on graphene. I remember I talked about high tech coming in and uh, it's going to change our world. Graphene was one of the uh, things that was happening. Vaughn sent me a fabulous video that explains how many industries are using it and how they're using it, many of which are uh, Israeli. And that surprised me, Israeli companies there. A lot of U.S. companies involved too. Uh, anyone that's interested in it, uh, send me a note. I'd be glad to pass on that video link to you. 
Now, the six precursors. First is the 10-year treasury went sideways again for three weeks. We're looking for a an increasing treasury rate, which would cause the Fed to change their policy and the market to crash. Uh, a pretty sure bet. It had been going up strongly, but for the last three weeks, it's been going sideways. And uh, so be it. I, I think it's taking a pause and we're seeing what's happening. I don't see any anything other than the pause of a market after a huge run-up. The second precursor is the high-yield bonds. The high-yield bonds uh, ended at the value. We, it's a number value, a value of the bonds. We're looking for a value falling value, which happens before a stock market uh, crash. And it's uh, gone down. It's gone up from 9.01 the week before that to last week, 9.04. It actually got stronger. So therefore, the market is stronger. I also read a, a story of analysts who were following high-yield bonds and uh, and doing deep analysis of high-yield bonds. And they're saying that the high-yield bonds are signaling that the stock market is strong and to buy stocks. That's what it is signaling today. So take that for what it's worth. We're watching it for the opposite trend. When it happens, then we'll be prepared. The U.S. dollar, the U.S. dollar weakened significantly this last week. And, uh, and as, and I, I would, I would expect it to weaken a little more, but it's weakening right now. Uh, we are, we expect a, if we see a deep weakening of the dollar, then we'll get some inflation, but it's, there's not enough there yet for it. Inflation could cause the market crash too. Fourth one is the, uh, consumer price index. We're waiting for the March number to come out. We haven't, has come out yet. So, so be it. We will see for it. And it's a whole hum so far anyway. The Fed policy change, the fifth item, the fifth precursor is the Fed could change their mind at any moment on what they're doing. And if they do, that could cause a market crash and they have not changed their mind at all. They are steadfastly sticking to their guns. And the sixth and last one is a bluebird. And indeed, I believe we had a bluebird. And that that bluebird was Archegos. And so that, that crash, that failure of the fund, which took down major banks. I mean, Credit Suisse got hit hardest of all. The CEO of Credit Suisse and the risk manager of Credit Suisse have lost their jobs. The board of directors of Credit Suisse are saying, what went wrong here? We should not have been at risk as much as we were, something was terribly wrong. Their Credit Suisse is correct. They did screw up big time. Uh, it is part of the stock market. There is high, high risk in the stock market and how it's managed and run by the big firms out there. So just be aware of that. This is just a small example of what's going on. Hey, if anybody out there has seen a bluebird themselves in addition to this one, send it in to me, please. Uh, they could easily be happening all over the world. Anything that uh, could cause stocks to crash for any reason, that's a bluebird. Send it in to me. Thank you so much. And this is The Economy Guy signing off for another week. Be talking to you. Bye. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to hit that subscription button. This is Tom Harvey. I'm an investor and not a financial advisor. 
nothing should be construed as advice or solicitation to make a trade in any market. And I disclaim any responsibility for any negative effect of decisions made by the listeners.